Welcome to Off The Bench Podcast. I'm Molly McElwee, a journalist and writer. And I'm Lauren Rouse, two-time Paralympic rowing champion. Each week, we'll be inviting extraordinary women athletes, coaches and leaders in sport onto the show. They'll be sharing moments they felt sidelined during their careers and how they found ways to smash through barriers and succeed regardless. From difficult injuries to living life online as an athlete to finding their way in a male-dominated industry, these incredible women will be sharing what they've learned along the way. Today we had the absolute pleasure to welcome England cricket legend Catherine Sibber Brunt. Bullshit! Catherine Brunt through the gate. Brilliant delivery from Catherine Brunt. She's fired up, so she should be. During a 19-year international career, she logged 267 games, 335 wickets, 1,864 runs, four Ashes victories and three World Cups. She is quite simply one of the best to have ever worn the England shirt. And she was pretty fun to chat with too. What a powerful conversation, eh, Lauren? What a woman, what a career. I really just thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I mean, for the listeners, prepare yourselves. It's an emotional one. I just was resonated so much with her story, being an LGBTQ role model within the sport, and also as well, just her struggles with mental health. I think there was so much that I just related to personally, and I came away from the conversation completely inspired, to be honest. Agreed. I think we were both holding back the tears, so we really hope you enjoy this episode of Off the Bench with Catherine Silverbrunn. Welcome, Catherine, to Off the Bench podcast. We are so pumped to have you on this episode. And I firstly know you're probably very busy enjoying retired life and, and enjoying everything that comes with that. Um, how are you doing anyway? Well, I'm actually not really feeling retired at the minute because I'm having to hang on for uh, the 100, which is in August. So I'm in a bit of a funny place at the minute where I want to just relax and chill out, pretty much do nothing, hide away and sort of like just be myself for a year. But um, it's turning into like loads of opportunities being thrown at me, like lots of uh, media. I'm going to be working on the ashes with BBC and Sky and yeah. And then obviously the hundred. So I'm actually (laughs) probably busier than I was before. (laughs) So it's, it's going well, but not in the way that I anticipated. <laughs> yeah, anticipated a nice restful period, being able to yeah. maybe go on a nice holiday. Everybody I know in sport, like athletes that say that, they're like, yeah, coming to retirement, yeah. planning like a really nice break, not having to be involved in the sport at all. And then actually you just get appearance after appearance or then, mm. yeah, like opportunities to go and do things. So, And then you're like, I can't turn this down. I'm going to have to do it now. Yeah, I've also got a house build going on at the minute which is carnage. Um, So I'm trying to manage that as well. Not good. That is a lot of juggling. My gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The news of your retirement from international cricket came, was it a few weeks ago now? I mean, how have you kind of settled into that? Because you had a 19-year career. Like, it's a long time to, yeah, decide to step away. When you look back on, on it, yeah how do you feel now I guess with the the benefit of a few weeks I'm finding it quite strange actually it's a bit of an adjustment at first like I felt when I made the decision I felt 
really relieved and positive about my decision. I'm not saying I feel the opposite to that now. I definitely made the right decision, but it was more it's more that I'm adjusting my life now to life without cricket, which isn't really happening because I've obviously took on a lot of cricket work. <laughs> but um yeah, it's just finding my way around day to day, not being around lots of people, not being told what to do, where to go, what to wear. And, you know, like I don't like being bored. So having stuff to do, like I couldn't just retire and do nothing. Like I've, I've always got to be doing something, um, finding things to entertain me. So it's it's been really difficult. And, the, and I think the major part is not having that around. Um, we've lived in each other's pockets for the last, 12 years um touring and and when we're not touring being at home and or just hanging out so being with someone every minute of the day and then suddenly not seeing them is 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 pretty strange to me which obviously I've got to adjust to now but um yeah it's not the best thing but I'm working it out and um I'm sure I'll find a good balance at some point <laughs> Yeah, it it surely will take time. Like it's like I say, like nearly two decades of 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 work and 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 kind of routine and all that kind of thing. When when you look back to 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 the girl that started playing cricket growing up in Barnsley, do you think she ever would have thought of you playing for England and doing everything you have in the sport? Oh uh, no, absolutely not. Yeah, my upbringing and my early years, especially early teen years, like were drastically different. Like extremely shy I was bullied a lot not really knowing who I was and what I what I liked or what would make me happy the only thing I knew was that I was a bit of a tomboy and I really liked sports and I found that I was quite good at most sports uh, mainly because I'm one of six and the one up from me I'm the youngest my brother Daniel he he was really good at all sports and naturally I just wanted to be better than him at everything so yeah that's where that came from and yeah finding my way through that and then accidentally coming on to cricket at an elite level I always just played it because it was something that I was good at so I I did that because I was good at it and I enjoyed it so that made me feel special because there weren't many things unfortunately that that made me feel that way so I, I kind of even though it was really it gave me a lot of anxiety because being around boys and putting yourself on show is terrifying as an introvert but Equally, I was good at it and I enjoyed it. So I was like really torn as to whether to keep doing it or not. And so there was always something that kept me there. And so clinging on to that and finding my way through that, then that opportunity arose to play for England. And it was just a complete accident. And I didn't want to do it because I thought I can handle this at this level, but any more than this would be a bit much. So no, I would have never done it had people not, pretty much guide like pushed me my sister pushed me there my brother pushed me there my parents yeah it, it no I could never have ever have seen this coming and it wasn't something I wanted or wanted to push myself towards so mm. I, I think people who've watched you play cricket would be maybe surprised about imagining you as kind of an introverted kind of teenager because you're such a huge personality on the on the pitch um yeah where yeah. does that come from then I think she was always there she just got beaten down so much like I was quite big I'm not sure if you can say fat that's the only word I've got in the head as a teenager and so like and I was bullied for that a lot and 
that sort of stamps down your confidence, doesn't it? And puts, makes you very internal. And so when I arrived there, it, I was this person who was just hidden away and like that. But underneath, I was, you know, I'm quite a bubbly mental joker. And so <laughs> there was always somebody passionate underneath ready to come out. And I guess cricket and the highs that come with that and the people that you meet brought that out of me and it took a few years to be fair from debut because for my debut the team was made up of older established people so they were obviously quite intimidating so when I became the older player that's when I came out of my shell and started annoying everyone so yeah I mean you've seen the game go from completely amateur to, to what it is now I mean when you look back on your debut the first World Cup you played in I mean, 2004, 2005, what, it, it must feel a world away um, in terms of the support you guys get now and 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 also just the attention on it as well. What, what are your kind of memories of those first few years of playing for England? So obviously at the, at the very beginning, we, were, we weren't paid by the ECB. We were, had Sport England lottery funding. That was how we financed ourselves to be able to drive to Loughborough to to train or to be able to get to county championships and take part in those tournaments. But it was it was such a minuscule amount and there were things you still had to pay for. Like I still had to pay for half of my own equipment and and stuff like that. So an away trip was all, felt like an absolute luxury and that only happened really once a year. Whereas now, you know, you could go abroad up to six times, depending on things that you take part in. So it is a completely different world. Some of my best memories are from when I had no, we had nothing, I had nothing, and it wasn't broadcast or cared about. Because it does. It, when the cameras are there, they add. They add so much. Like they, You get all the negative comments on, on social media. You get all the expectation, anxiety that comes with performing on TV or in front of thousands of people. And we didn't have any of that then. You were just playing for the love of it, you know, the pride and the fun and being with your mates. So it's it's both a blessing and a curse <laughs> now. I read somewhere that, that in was it in two thousand and five in Delhi that you had monkeys that were in, <laughs> that were in your hotel rooms. Is that right? So not physically in there because that would have been really dodge. But um, <laughs> yeah, they were like rattling on the windows. The windows were all, like barred up, and we wondered why felt like we were in a bit of a dodgy hotel and then that happened and I was like oh that would be that would be why then um because <laughs> obviously they would have got in otherwise um but yeah that was an interesting tour I think it was my first trip to India and it was a bit of an eye-opener but it was a great experience at the time I was moaning constantly like we were all ill we were getting bitten things just kept getting going wrong like throwing your kit on top of a bus and hoping it stays on there while you travel um like (laughs) (laughs) being like hot like surrounded by people wanting to touch you you know because you're different to them and like it was just mad absolutely mad and not being able to eat anything because everything made you ill (laughs) oh but it was like they're my best stories and I, i think like looking back as well do you think yourself like 
what I guess like stories of what I hear as well from from sort of in, within Rome within my own sport about what in the early days people would put up with and what we would do and you think that's the world of an elite sport and high performance sport and none of it shouts or screams high performance you know no. you're talking about they're putting your kit on top of of a truck or something and hoping that it stays there by the time <laughs> that you get there especially when you're paying for it as well in in those yeah. early stages do you think it's wild now do you think maybe some of the younger girls that now are are in the team would be horrified by some of those stories oh yeah they wouldn't do it they just wouldn't come on tour <laughs> everyone's a privileged queen now um <laughs> yeah we we are we're just like we what we expect now is different like this the standard is so high that anything below that is unacceptable which is mental like I just come from a place of hard graft and I like that. Like my dad ran to work and back every day. So he totaled like 100 kilometers running every day. He worked down a mine from seven till seven. So he never saw the daylight. Like he used to go around turning lights off after me because, you know, he's got six kids to support. Like I'm just from a place where you put like a breath wrong, you get a smack for it. Like, and that's just me, like strict upbringing a hard grafter uh, work for everything you got I never given anything and I like that it made me who I am and and I just wonder if these days we are not saying you should smack your children <laughs> we're, we're not we don't have that I call it a bit of bastard that we need to be able to survive in this world by yourself and realize that you know you if you can go through this you can go through that so it is it's tough it's a scary thought um, do you think that level yeah. of like I guess your upbringing and I guess the struggle of growing up you know in in an environment like that where and you know I know from watching my mum work really hard and not make a lot of money at all and we never had a lot so I sort of adopted this mentality and this level of resilience about me that I think has helped me in my career and has helped me be able to work firstly work hard and understand that hard work was w what made me successful but also this level of resilience and going if things aren't going your way you kind of just have to stick at it and that's just sometimes there is no other choice but trying to to keep going at it do you think that's what's led to having such a successful and long career that level of resilience that you have yeah absolutely like resilience is the number one ingredient for me the willpower that I've had throughout my whole career is why I've lasted 20 years. I don't know how many cricketers have had that long a career, especially as a fast bowler. It's generally a short lifespan. Is yeah, is how I is the key ingredient for me, and I've had that bred into me throughout my whole upbringing. Major injuries do that for you. Being a lesbian does that for you. You know, there's just on that like that. I, every day there's something you know to ignore or to I don't know push through if you like these are lessons I wish I could teach but you, are you serious you have to go through them to get through the other side and realize what you're made of I guess I mean Alice Campsy I think was born like a few weeks or a few days mm. before you made your debut which is remarkable <laughs> that that you were playing with her but what do you think you did add to the environment where you could yeah the the the, the wealth of experience that you had how did you kind of hand that down I guess to, to the new players coming into the England environment well I guess some of these girls so like Lauren Winfield is one of my best mates she's only 31 but she's she was a flag bearer for my debut a little kid waving a flag and me running through it and she grew up watching me play and 
she's from the same county as myself and and I'd say she's one of the most resilient people I know as well and these girls who have come into the team now where and been a part of it with me have watched me play as they've been growing up so hopefully you know that helped them somehow because that you always have to refer to something don't you to to check yourself against it like I don't know the inspiring women I would have watched as I was growing up and taken lessons from had they not done something I wouldn't have realized well maybe I can too for instance and I guess from talking to Alice that's something that she's taken from me too. I can't imagine kind of coming into a team environment with the person that you've looked up to all of your life it must be <laughs> yeah pretty pretty insane for them and I know you, you, you've you've got kind of your gregarious side I'm sure you've got that you you bring a lot of fun to the team environment too but that must also be kind of intimidating for them to kind of go in and be like oh my god <laughs> this is Catherine like run like what yeah they, we've had like these sessions before where we've come together and we've spoke about stuff like that like I've gone so we've talked about um like giving feedback and stuff like that and and one of them was like that was quite intimidating and I'm like what and I'm definitely intimidating on a pitch I'll give them that but not off and I guess that's where it's always worked out because I have a different version of me on and off the pitch and so with that feedback I would just be like please don't be intimidated by me like off the pitch if you ever want to speak to me ask me a question learn anything or even just you know use me feel free like don't be afraid like this is what I'm here for and so once I, th- I guess that ice was broken then it's you know the, all the natural learnings and integration happens because obviously naturally a near 40 year old's not going to hang out with a 17 year old <laughs> normally so yeah these things have to happen you know, in meetings and on the training ground. And, and it did, and I'm glad for it. And and in the end, I did start. I wanted them to come to me, but I decided in the end I was just going to make the move because time is precious. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it worked. It worked out well, and I'd like to think I'd passed a few things on. You've been such an incredible role model, not only in that teammate sense, Catherine, but you've also been an incredible role model for the LGBT community um, in your presence as a lesbian. And I think, you know, speaks so powerfully to a very small community of us that exists within sport. But, you know, you've spoken before about struggling to tell your parents that you were gay. And, and how do you look back on that moment of coming out? And I guess, how did you look at that now where you are today and having a wife and being able to live out publicly? <laughs> uh yeah that was I I I don't it's still not something I feel comfortable talking about I I definitely have to make myself vulnerable I think it comes across that I do it quite easily for sure but it's it's not I'm always having to sort of hold stuff in because it is like a it the being gay links to my mom so heavily and she's the one person that can just trigger me off in a second. Um, shit. And it's happening now. <laughs> um, yeah, so like in the beginning, like my mum's a devout Christian. And so being gay in any form is like 
just the you know be all and end all with her and so it when I came out at 21 to her officially I actually wrote her a letter because I couldn't do it to her face that was it was just too hard and that was like the day everything changed my relationship with my mom just sort of like faded out to nothing I left home tried to like find my way without that negativity and all that there which helped it was difficult but it helped and I did that through my coach at the time, my cricket coach, our head coach, like, told me it would be okay as a parent. He would want me to, if I was his daughter, to make that move, to let them know, and it would be okay. And it kind of had the opposite effect. So that bothered me for quite a while. And it always will because my mum will never, she's so stuck in her way of thinking that that will never change like she's nearly 80 now and I don't expect her to change she still loves me she doesn't accept that side of me but I've decided that's okay yeah it is hard and it always will be like uh, and I'll always carry a lot of shame because of the way she feels about it with me so like hiding I won't hold Nat's hand in public for instance because I feel like you know I'm being stared or judged and that just all comes from the fact that we're made to believe it's wrong and, and gross and I'm finding strange words to use here, but that's just it. And hopefully, you know, it's gotten better for sure. Like I'm able to sp- like actually speak to- about it, tell the world that I love someone and that I'm married to them. And that doesn't have all this. So it's really great to have her positivity linked to it. So her parents have fantastic and totally accepting yeah like the the hardest one of the hardest slash best days of my life was being married my parents weren't there and my brother walked me down the aisle and that's were there and they loved it and they felt all the love from that day and yeah that was a shame but didn't take away how great it was thank god yeah so that's i guess my sort of upbringing the world as a lesbian as we all know, everybody, we've all got a story. Mm. That's really powerful to hear you talk about like that. I mean, it makes me feel emotional. Just, I guess, that fear of rejection is that fear of, uh, for, for most young queer people, that element of going, I'm going to lose the people I, I love around me because of the way society has taught them to hate me and who I am. And I think for me, uh, it just relates so much to that, of that fear of being like, but I have to be who I am and I, I've either found my person or I know I am this person and I have to be that because fundamentally it starts to affect you. And I don't know how you felt, um, I guess in, in your, your sort of teenage years, but it started to affect my mental health. It started to affect my performance in sport. And I just can continue to, to live like that. And after I came out, I mean, it's made the biggest difference in my life, but it's also meant that I can find my person you know I'm I'm engaged now to my fiance June and it's just been the most beautiful thing and I, I think that you know I never had those sort of role models growing up those LGBT role models in sport I just didn't see that and I think it's so powerful in the presence of if you even saying like I don't care if I get kind of rejected and even from my own family but I'm gonna be out and live my life and mm. and just be happy and find your person mm. and that the impacts in just your presence you you and that together you spoke about a, a little bit earlier and we'll go on to that in, in next but 
just the presence that you have in the sport is just powerful. And I think sometimes we don't realize that as athletes because we're just living our lives and mm. as people, but the impact is is greater than you can ever think of just your presence of being there. So firstly, thank you from, from a younger <laughs> queer person on that. But <laughs> you speak about Nat so beautifully in your wedding day and it's making me very excited for planning my wedding. Um, but you, you speak about that and I guess is... There's, there's got to be an element of difficulty there with you both being teammates. I can't imagine. I mean, my fiance Judy just plays basketball and we're both athletes and that comes with its extreme challenges of mm. us both being away and our programs clashing. But is there another element of that difficulty or is it easier even with you both being on the same team as well? Um, no, what's hard now is her being away. We both have loved being together every second of the day and I think that's how I knew she, I was supposed to be with her for the rest of my life is because I can't be around her and ever be angry or upset or annoyed. Like, she just makes me whole, you know? Shit. <laughs> I'm getting emotional again. This podcast is getting really yeah, emotional just, tonight. I, I know. know. I'm, yeah. like, holding it back. <laughs> yeah, she's just, like, everybody needs to find their Natalie. Like, you've found yours and just make everything easier. Like, my whole life's been quite difficult and I guess sad and uh, like cricket is how I find my happiness shit and take she, a moment if you need to like, yeah no sorry don't worry and she just sort of makes all that go away so now I don't have cricket the one thing that made me happy I have her which is you know brilliant and everybody needs to find that and allow themselves to have it mm. um which I didn't for a long time so yeah it's br- these are happy tears <laughs> if you can uh i mean it, it's it's so beautiful to hear you talk about Nat and your relationship and finding each other through cricket and i mean i, I read about if i i think this is right but the story about how you asked Nat out must be one of the best <laughs> best of those stories i've ever heard where you asked her no, oh, you, can, you can tell the story come on you can tell the story it's not cringe i oh, think it's incredible it's cringe <laughs> it was more of a joke at the time like if you can imagine athletes on tour we get bored and we do daft things and that was like one of the first Love Island years I mean I'm not a Love Island fan <laughs> I find it utterly ridiculous um, but the girls were watching it and it was it was like a you know a conversation starter so the ones of us that were like no way am I watching that crap we ended up watching it <laughs> and then you get sucked in don't you and there's something one of them did on there. Are they all like spelled out? I love you. <laughs> on the oh, floor, on the balcony, the no? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so I said the day before to one of my mates and my best mate, actually, if we win the World Cup tomorrow, um, I'm going to ask Nat, Nat out officially, just like as a passing comment. And then, but I definitely meant it but deep down, just being a, a you know, oh, a wet bag about it. I, I just kept holding back, not doing it. And then, hey, presto, we win the bloody World Cup. And then it was such a massive occasion. Like, it, it blew everyone away, like, got everyone. And then my best mate came up to me, she's like, do you remember what you said? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so she, like, assembled everyone. And at Lord's, there's the, it's, the pavilion's obviously really famous and the balconies are really famous. And I took that out onto the balcony and there they were all on the floor, all, like, spread out in this I love you word and I was just like this is horrific 
she found it great. So we have got a picture somewhere actually. So, <laughs> the Lord's classic gay fashion, it's extravagant and over the top and everything yeah. I love about this community. <laughs> oh, it's truly awful but funny as hell at the time. She loved it and I'm sure she'll never forget that. So yeah. yeah. Collectively the best day ever, I guess, winning the World Cup at Lords on that incredible day. And then Yeah, um well done me, like because how can I forget that date? It, like <laughs> I'm not gonna forget about, about getting a card or anything, am I? Twenty third <laughs> July, what a day. <laughs> love that, love that. Um, I guess challenges of uh, of of being gay and and in your experience of that, not only from your own personal stuff, but is there any challenges that you and Nat have faced along the way within sport, just from from being gay as well? Uh, no. So we're really lucky in the fact that our teammates have always been brilliant. Um, our coaches have been brilliant. Obviously, relationships in a team from a business perspective aren't great like if you fall out then your performance can lack or somebody ends up getting pushed out if one's better than the other at what they do so luckily we've both always been very mature never ever fallen out and we only ever inspire each other to be better because we both effectively do the same job we're both all-rounders and always wanted to be better than each other (laughs) (laughs) so naturally it brings the best out of us so um, from a business perspective, it actually was good for them. But luckily, the, the surroundings for us were great. All our teammates are just really accepting. We have a lovely, like, family supportive environment, which is what you can just always hope for, which is not always the case, obviously. And the coaches and the UCB and the company itself have always been great around that too. So we were very lucky in that in that regard. When you say you guys kind of wanted to always kind of strive to be better than each other, were you the types that would compare stats after games or after training sessions? Was that ever a thing? Uh, no, not stats or anything. We just know. You know when you're better than someone. <laughs> There's this um, time we had a game and they always do this to us, right? It's really annoying, actually. The coach would always put me on the opposite team to her. So obviously that's like when it gets real fiery. Um, I don't know why, but it always brought out the most competitive side in me when I was playing against her. So we call them like internal games. We're practicing, but we've got a form two team. So, mm. um, and there's two days worth of games, and on the first day, uh, my team won, and I, I batted, I batted really well actually, and I was so determined to win. I like guided out. I got this like a score that I would never get uh, guided our team to the win and walked off and I was really smug and um got a trophy for it like we had these trophies we made that just to make it you know a bit more fun yeah and then the next day she didn't say anything this is not like so I'm like red mist warrior um she's a cool calm patient assassin next day <laughs> no words just all action <laughs> unbelievable performance play of the match won them the game on her own and I was just like Ugh, for God's <laughs> sake <laughs> it was what luckily there were only two games because that if it was a third it could have been hectic but it was fun I was just like an example of tit for tat and bringing out the best in each other so it was fun 
<laughs> coaching dream I'd say <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably yeah I get like that and he'd play basketball against against Jude and I, I have no clue how to play basketball but I instantly want to be better than her I'm just like right I don't care like I just got to be better than you at this because it's just level of competitiveness <laughs> even if we go yeah. to the gym it's like I've got a shoulder press more than you and I mean her <laughs> thing is bench press she can bench press on a real amount and I'm just like trying to get into the bar trying to do a one one rep max just so I can have one up on her um <laughs> We used to do CrossFit together a little bit and um, oh. yeah, we used to, we sometimes had to be on a team with each other because if we went against each other, we both just end ourselves and we'd have training the next day <laughs> and for a week we wouldn't be able to even like, I wouldn't even Walk. be able to push in my wheelchair. That's how like <laughs> competitive it used to get. And so we just had to start working together and stop going against each other because otherwise it would just get way too much. So yeah. I can definitely resonate with the feeling of, uh, of being quite competitive. And some of us are a bit more silent and silent assassins as like Nat sounds. Um, so that's, that's, that's really funny. Yeah. You know, you've spoken a little bit about um, struggles with your mental health struggles in with, with coming back from, from injuries and stuff like that and how you've battled with that. And, um, do you think that that it was those sort of injuries and the, and the mental health that has, has sort of encouraged you to finish your career now and 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 to sort of come away from it, or would you say that you've learnt to be able to deal with that over time and learnt to be able to manage your mental health a bit more and the injuries that come with playing cricket? Yeah, I've had like waves with mental health, I guess, over my twenty year career. Like, it's not really something that I knew or identified at the time because in the team in the last two years it's like are you okay we have a full-time psychologist I can turn on my phone on Instagram Twitter and and I can I could scroll once a day and see something related to it so it is there if you need it and even if you don't want to call someone or, or deal with something you can read about it so you can do it behind closed doors too whereas before I didn't know what you know you didn't read about these things you didn't see it there was no psychological support my parents don't talk they don't we don't have conversations about anything like I can't go to my parents and be like I'm feeling like this today but that's just not a thing so there was nothing so it was all about self-learning and recognition on on things like that so I've had very much a, a journey <laughs> and ups and downs in how I feel and I've I've got that from failing and losing games or being really angry and trying to figure out why am I really angry sorry so the people in my life I've chosen to surround myself with a very positive a very outgoing very loving people and I have always done that I don't have many many friends but the friends that I do have are very special to me and surrounding myself with those kind of people is really important and I think I might have unconsciously done that because of my upbringing either not trusting people or not wanting to be around negativity or people with not the same values as me so that's been like my one really key ingredient is my brilliant siblings really close proper friends um, who would do anything for me and then I guess you know, going through all those challenges and battles that I've faced, especially the injuries, like my first back surgery, really knocked me. Like, it's, yeah, 
as you know, being debilitated is a really shite thing. Like you don't realize how lucky you are to be able to do the things that you can do as a human. And when, when I had, before I had my first back injury, like going from being an extremely active everyday kind of athlete to not being able to do anything was, was really tough. And, and it put me in a pretty dark place. Like I thought I was going to, you know, never play again, having had, a taste of it for the first couple of years and I wanted to try and get through that but I had to get through that on my own it did make me a better person and that's when I started to create my life outside of cricket because I was so scared that if it got taken away from me suddenly like it did again which it did I would I needed something in place that I could fall back on and for any athlete or or anyone really I would encourage that so much because that gave me a bit of peace of mind and some security to fall back on. So, and I have that now. Now I've retired. That's why the decision was easy for me. Is that your, when you're, are you referring to your property development business there? Yeah. 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 I started that a good 12 years ago. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work. I mean, anyone who works in property development would say that <laughs> it's it's all encompassing and you were doing it at the same time yeah. as being an England cricketer and travelling <laughs> around the world. So that seems pretty, pretty It's insane. extremely stressful. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> buy or sell one house. It's the most stressful thing you ever do, isn't it? And like, like you said, I was doing that whilst playing in a world event or whatever. I, <laughs> it definitely encroached on my performance like I'd say the last five years of my career were extremely difficult and I don't think I played the best level that I could have because I wasn't fully committed to either but I knew I had to be committed to both somehow but I wish I could have been a hundred percent a cricketer so had I been paid like a male athlete I would have been able to just give absolutely everything to cricket but instead I had to give you know half of me to each to be able to have a future and I don't regret that it's sad but I don't regret it. It was a necessity. Mm, it's the reality, you know, I guess, for for yeah. for many. I mean, for for the majority of female athletes. I mean, that's just the way it's got to be. You've got to kind of juggle doing things on the side to keep you going. Some sometimes to keep you going during your career, but also just to, like you say, think about what comes next. And for you, I mean, you, you've you've already touched upon kind of what an adjustment I guess it, it's been for you to retire from international cricket you've still got the 100 this summer but why did now feel like the right time I mean we're heading into a, a big summer the ashes and um, how do you think it's going to be for you to to be watching it from the other side I guess I'm a terrible watcher like I can't <laughs> watch that back because I just I just wanted to do well all the time and I'm very critical of her performance you know really annoying parents that just tell you what you should have done and you're like <laughs> shut up you would not have done any better. In fact, you would have done worse. <laughs> so I'm trying not to be like that because it's so easy to criticise from your chair. And I've known that my whole life. But yeah, I, it all comes from a place of wanting her to be great. So I've now got to do it live and not rip everyone to shreds. <laughs> and also not swear, which I find really hard. <laughs> I think people like pundits who really are honest, I guess. You could you, you can rip anyone well, to shreds me. if you want to. <laughs> oh, I just got to do it in a kind way, I guess. Yeah. 
I think as well in like the women's game as well, I hear a lot about, you know, it's always constantly talking about positive, like record breaking figures and like being like, oh, new record breaking figures, uh, such and such game. And but then we fail to forget to actually talk about what's going on in the game. So I think it's so refreshing to have somebody that comes on as a pundit and actually talks about what's going on in the game, not talking about, mm. oh, how amazing is uh, like the women's game for it to be this many people in the stadium. No, I want to talk you to absolutely slate the people on the actual pitch that are doing their job because as a you know as a sports fan watching that I want to know what's going on especially you know if you you don't really know the game in and out but you want honest reflection and I think it'd be great to see commentary on women's sport become that little bit the same as what it is for men's sport you wouldn't go into a men's Mm. game and go how amazing it is to see all these people here in this stadium supporting the women's game how incredible it is for them all to be role models you know you'd be talking about how bad they are at their jobs so (laughs) I I can't wait for you to sit there and sit <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> it is. It's on. because with the women's game, I don't want to. This is not a, like a blanket comment because it's just it's a rare occasion. But some male pundits do say stuff like that because they don't have enough knowledge about the women's game, and so they find things to talk about that's actually quite patronising. Like, stop referring to it as like as something that's getting there. It's growing and all this. Like, we are here. We are on a major stage. We are on Sky Sports. We do have millions of followers. Like, let's commentate on how good what you're seeing is, like, and and how you're seeing it, how they do that. Not like all the naff stuff, like what you said. And I I totally agree. But I only can control some of that. (laughs) But I've always tried to tell them, like, I am just going to be myself and say the things that come naturally to me because I feel like that's the best way. And if you don't like it, don't employ me. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're going to do just fine. It's going to be fun. (laughs) We'll we'll all be tuning in. (laughs) Yeah, I can say all my honest things in my book instead. Is that coming up? Um, I've been threatening it. I've been talking about it. And mainly I was just joking about it, but I'm actually dead serious now. I think I'm... (laughs) (laughs) I mainly want to do it right because I want to create a book of memories obviously my journey as a whole all the ugly bits and and then when I have a kids I want to be able to tell them my story because for some reason I don't know if it's age but I forget stuff all the time and it's really <laughs> annoying because when you when I catch up with some old mates from I don't know the 2006 squad they tell me stuff and it brings back so many happy memories and I just wish I could remember them I couldn't care if I only gave away one copy <laughs> it would be you know just great for that reason I think you'll do more than that come on <laughs> I think a lot of people will <laughs> want to hear about 19 years at the top of the uh, at the top of international cricket it's pretty remarkable um I mean I, I feel like we could talk for hours but just to kind of wrap up I wanted to finish with a question we we ask all our guests I mean this this podcast is 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 about kind of uh, championing different women in sport, athletes, broadcasters, leaders, coaches. And I just wonder if you <clears throat> could name anyone outside of your sport who um, who you admire, who you admired while you were coming up in the sport or who you admire now um, that kind of stands out to you as some, as yeah, a woman working in sport who um, has made a difference, I guess, to you. Um, well, personally, I... When I'm asked this, like, I don't, there's not one person who's inspired me. Like, 
I take my inspiration from everywhere and everything. Like my mom, to a certain degree, because of like, there's obviously a reason she is the way she is, and I know that. Uh, I know that story, and so that inspires me. All the people I've ever competed against, or you know, been on the same side as, they inspire me. From the TV that I saw that I was able to see, because we only had a black and white telly, <laughs> that inspired me. So Monica Sellers, Kelly Holmes these people who are just seem so normal to me not superstars but that I could be one of them and coming from an army background to suddenly winning something but winning something so like naturally and shocked like shocked herself doing it as if she'd come done something that she didn't believe she could do that inspired me uh, obviously Sellers being stabbed and coming back from something horrific mentally and physically scar you like these things stay with you. You don't see them at the time as this big inspirational moment, but they, they're they there. So I take mine from everywhere to try and create the best version of myself. Like there was my best friend who, when I came into the cricket team, she retired two years after, but I wanted to be better than her. Do you know what I mean? It's an array of everyone and everything, I guess. So, yeah. I think I can speak on behalf of both of Molly and I when I say we've been super inspired by you. So thank you so much for coming on today and thank you for sharing your story in such an open and honest way. I think it will speak to so many people listening to this and I'm sure they'll be able to relate to parts of it and we can't wait to read the book more importantly. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> up to date when it's coming out and we'll let everybody know. So Yeah, get you so it on much. your Christmas <laughs> list. Yeah, definitely. Right, that's it. There's been a date now, Christmas list. By Christmas this year, it will be out there, be, be in your stockings. Thank Hi. you so much, Catherine. No worries. Thanks for having me.